Well, good morning, church. Doing good today? <laughs> yeah. Hey, y'all got to give it up for David now. Hey, I am the French guy. So I try my best to uh, preach in English. So uh, <laughs> Pastor uh, George will read scriptures for me. Okay, you agree with that? Okay, you're fine with that? George, can you do it? <laughs> All right, so it, it is a privilege. So David is going to be preaching out of Nehemiah chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and join us in Nehemiah chapter 1. And I'm going to read the entire chapter. It's 11 verses. So that's how we're going to get started here today. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's Bibles all over the room. I would encourage you, grab one, Real quickly, I think we've got the page number on the screen maybe that, that will be able to show you where to find Nehemiah chapter one and, and then we'll turn there together. And what we do each week at Shades is we stand for the reading of God's words. When you find Nehemiah one, if you're willing and able to stand with us, we're gonna read from God's word. And we stand, if you're new to Shades, we stand because we want to be reminded every week that the word of God is the foundation on which the church of Jesus Christ stands. This is the firm foundation beneath our feet. And as we turn to God's word, we are turning to what God says is right and good and true. So listen to the word of the Lord, Nehemiah chapter one. The scripture says the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also has broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we send against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinance with which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, and if you keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. This is the word of the Lord. 
Let me pray for us and for Pastor David, and then we'll be seated as we consider God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention to you through the reading and the proclamation of your holy scripture, it is my prayer through the power of your Holy Spirit that is moving among us even now, that this living and active word would leap off of the page and would intersect with our life in such a way that we could not be the same. We pray that something supernatural would happen as your word is preached here today. We pray that you would fill Pastor David in a very fresh way with your spirit. And I pray, Lord God, that we would not be the same as a result of that which you say. So we ask right now that you would move among us for your glory and for our joy and good. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You Amen. may be seated. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. I love Alabama, okay? I, I really do. I love barbecue. Somebody, come on. <laughs> Southern hospitality is a legend, right? College football, somebody. Yeah? Yeah. But my favorite thing in Alabama is nonetheless Shade Mountain Baptist Church. Can I get a witness? Amen? Yeah. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Pastor George, for having me. Uh, I really do feel honored. Uh, thank you, church, for partnering with us for all those years. You are planning churches in Montreal. Did you know that? Uh, you're partnering for us for several years. Uh, our church planted four other churches, and in the last 10 years, this is Montreal. You, know, to know, you need to know this. Montreal, less than 1% of people are churchgoers. Okay? It is the most unreached people group in North America. It is the least church city in North America. But in the last 10 years, we planted a total of five churches and we baptized a thousand adults. So this may not be big for the South, but let me tell you, for Montreal, this is miracle. Can we celebrate that again together, friends? Come on, celebrate with us. This is awesome. You are doing that in Montreal. Thank you so much to be part of it. My title today, God's dreams are born in prayer. It is so important for all of us to have dreams. One of the things that make us different from animals is our capacity to dream. Beavers don't have five-year plan. They don't, right? They don't. We human beings are created into the image of God, and we have this uh, uh, wonderful capacity to dream. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, uh, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, and Nehemiah were all dreamers. In the New Testament, Peter, John, Paul, and the apostles were all dreamers. Everybody should dream, everybody. Do not say, I am too young for this. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. When I became a youth pastor, I was 23 years old. And if you think that I got a baby face at 45, can you imagine what I looked like at 23? I looked so young, some of the parents thought I was one of the teenagers, true story. We were young, but we had a dream from God. Never say, I'm too young. But also, never say, I'm too old. 
Because we live in a Western society where we put an expiration date on people. Listen, it is not your age that determines how old you are. You don't become old when you hit a certain age. You become old when you stop dreaming. So I know people in their 80s that are young and free. And I know other people in their 30s that are old like Methuselah. <laughs> Do not say, I am too old. At 85, Caleb conquered Hebron. At 99, Abraham got his wife pregnant. Try that, dude, okay? <laughs> At 147, Jacob blessed his grandsons. And the Bible says that Jacob was weak and sick, but when he heard the news that Joseph and his sons were there, he rallied his strength and sat up on the bed, and he began to prophesy. Literally, Jacob said to death, wait a minute. I still got something to do. And somebody this morning needs to hear this. Some people, some older people in your 70s, in your 80s and plus, you need to hear this. Somebody needs to say to death, wait a minute, I am not done. I still have something to do. I'm here to tell you, please, never stop dreaming. Continue to dream. Continue to dream for this church. Continue to dream for the kingdom of God. Continue to dream for your children and their children and their children. Never stop dreaming. Never. The book of Nehemiah starts in 445 B.C. And it is about 150 years that the walls of Jerusalem are destroyed. And every attempt to rebuild them had failed. But Nehemiah will do in 52 days what nobody was able to do in 150 years. I'm here to tell you, never underestimate what God can do in your life in a short period of time. Never underestimate what God can do in your life in 52 days. Nehemiah did in 52 days what nobody did for 150 years. And there's many reasons for that, but here's one of them. He was a man of prayer. The book of Nehemiah starts with prayer and ends with prayer. Listen, everything in your life should start with prayer and ends with prayer. And like Nehemiah, we should be always over and over, constantly in prayer. He prayed every time. When he got bad news, he prayed. When he got good news, he prayed before he speaks. We should learn from, from that, right? We should do that. He prayed when he was discouraged, when they tried to intimidate him. He prayed to confess his sins, the sins of his people. He prayed when he had tough calls to make. He was always constantly in prayer. If you want to accomplish God's dreams for your life, you will have to become a man or a woman of prayer. He was praying without ceasing. If he was alive today, he will be the kind of guy, the moment he's awake, he's in prayer. His first 
thought or for the Lord. He will be the kind of guy when he jumps in the shower, he is in prayer, driving his car in prayer, arrive 30 minutes earlier at work to pray, pray at lunch, pray through the day, pray in the restrooms, pray all the time before going to bed, pray in prayer because he knew that God's dreams are received in prayer, but he also knew that our deepest motivations are filtered through prayer. Because here's a problem we all have. We got godly ambitions, and we got at the same time selfish ambitions. And those two intertwine together. But what prayer does, it filters our deepest motivations because sometimes, sometimes, many times, it become about the dream first. The dream become an idol. But let me tell you, it is not about the dream first. It is about God first. And it's become about the dream first. You will come to a point in your life that you will be unable to discern the difference between your dreams and God's dreams. And this is highway for spiritual bankruptcy. But prayer filtered our deepest motivations. And he knew also that prayers opens closed doors. In chapter 2, uh, he will ask permission to the king to go and rebuild the city and the walls. And the king will, said, will say yes. But a couple years before, the same king in Ezra chapter 4 had stopped all construction. What's the difference here? The difference is prayer. Now, some historians will say this has nothing to do with prayer. This has nothing to do with God. It is because the political scale has changed. And the king wanted to fortify Jerusalem to prevent a military invasion from Egypt. Which I answer, yes, absolutely. But we know that uh, behind the natural cause that was the king... There was a supernatural cause, which is the king of kings. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Prayer opened, closed door. Prayer makes the impossible possible. 52 days. This is incredible what they did. For the last nine years, our church, we were looking for a building. In Montreal, it's really secular. No new religious zoning allowed. No one. You have to deal with the existing one. And even if I was a billionaire and got a land, I will never have the permission to build a church on that. So for nine years, we looked for a church building and we never find anything. I visited 85 buildings. It never worked. It never been close to work. But we kept praying. Six years ago, I saw this Catholic church and I said, this is nice. Maybe we can rent that. And if we can rent, maybe one day we can buy it. So we went and meet with the priest and say, hey, could we, can we rent this? And he got mad. He don't want it. And he said, you will never have this building. But we kept praying. Two years ago, the building was for sale. So we went. We visit and we saw all the construction that has to be done there. It is crazy. Okay. Asbestos, mold, terrible shape. The building is in bad shape. But we said, oh, maybe we can make this happen. So we make the offer, 3.6 million. But when we do our due diligence, we discovered something we didn't expect. We discovered that they had those huge oil tanks underground that was contaminated the soil. So we just backed off. We backed off. But we kept praying. 
But eight months ago, eight months ago, they called us back. And they said, Mr. David, we're going to lower the price from 3.6 million to 3.1 million. And I said, okay. And then they say, we are going to pay to decontaminate the soil. And I said, okay. And then they said, if you buy it, we're going to loan you. Five years, 0% interest rate. Yeah. And then I said, okay. <laughs> and then we negotiated with GEM again, and we were able to add to the five years, 0%, another five years after, at Fed minus one interest rate. So total is almost 10 years at low or no interest. So last June, we signed the thing. We became the owner. And when I signed it, I remember the guy that says, you will never have this building. But you know what, man? We kept praying. We kept pushing. And prayer makes the impossible possible. Can we clap for the God of the impossible this morning? Hey, can you rejoin with us? We got this now. You know what? It looks like your old sanctuary is kind of the same shape. This is fantastic. Love that. Yeah. And so we bought it. Now we own it. We can't use it. Now we just launched a capital campaign. We need to raise $3.5 million to be able to, uh, uh, to use the building. And we will start a brand new church in that because we're out of seats in our church. We need to multiply. So thank you. Thank you for supporting us into that. Let me tell you, if you want to accomplish God's dream for your life, you will have to rebuild the wall of prayer in your life. How's your wall? How's your prayer life? Because no walls means no protection. Imagine in those days. Thief, invaders can come anytime. And this is exactly what's happening with us when we don't have a prayer life. We become vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. We, we begin to uh, look at the things of this world and they're attractive to, uh, to us. We, we begin to envy the wicked people and the enemy comes and he steals our peace, our joy, our purity, our energy because no walls means no protection. But no walls means also no rest. Imagine in these days, they were never at peace without a wall. Always anxious, always stressed out. And it is the same for some of us. You sleep, but you never feel rested. You take days off, but you're always tired. You take vacation, but you're never refreshed, truly. It is crazy in these days. We, we, we are burned out in October and November. It is crazy. This is not normal, friends, but it is common, right? Everywhere. People are burned down in October, November. Our parents did not burn down in November. We're just coming out of vacation. And we would need vacation to rest from our vacation. There's a problem here, man. And let me suggest you two things. First of all, I think we got too much of this. Too much of this is burning us out. Too much of this, but not enough of this. Not enough of prayer. We need to have less of this and more of prayer. We need to rebuild the wall of prayer in our life because no walls, no rest. But also no walls, no abundance. In the 60s, there's an archaeologist, Kathleen Kenyon, and she digged Jerusalem, and she discovered that before the temple was destroyed, the city had those terraces, kind of this. It's not this, but kind of this. 
It, it is a, a series of terraces where they can practice agriculture. And the way it worked in those days, it was that one terrace was sustained by a, a wall, and another, another one by another wall, etc. So the whole, the, the whole thing was sustained in place by one single thing. What? The city wall. So no city wall, no terraces, no terraces, no agriculture in the city, no agriculture in the city, no abundance in the city. And this is exactly the same thing for some of us. You don't have abundance right now because you don't have a wall of prayer around your life. You work, 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 but it's never enough. You sow much, but it brings little. You work hard, but your attics are empty. You earn wages, but your purse has holes in it. Because no walls, no protection, no walls, no rest, no walls, no abundance. And Nehemiah, he knew, he knew that prayer is a matter of life or death. Single people, pornography is everywhere. You need to build a wall of protection around your life. Married people, Adultery is everywhere. We need to build a wall of protection around our marriage. Parents, have you noticed how so many teens and young adults are confused right now? Have you noticed how 2018 feel like a hundred years ago? It is crazy. We need to build a wall of protection around our family because times have changed. In the old days, I mean 2018, okay? In the old days, faith and value of the parents on the long term had more weight than culture. But times have changed. It is not enough anymore to have good values. If the only thing you have is good values, let me tell you, culture will eat your kids for breakfast. We need to add to our faith and values. We need to add some things to that. We need to have real church engagement. I'm alone, just me and George. We're together. So amen me, brother. Pat me on the back. Amen, Pastor David. Preach it, preach it. We need to add to faith and value of the parents. We need to add church engagement, real church engagement. And we need to add to this prayer. All of this, my friends, will have more weight than the culture. But if we don't build this wall, you will lose your kids. It is time for us to rebuild a wall of prayer around our family. In the book of Nehemiah, we see obviously 11 moments where he's in prayer. 11 moments. But if you look closer, you will find a 12th time. Uh, in chapter 9, he prayed with all the people. So this is not by accident. 12 means 12 tribes of Israel. It represents the people of God. So as a spiritual leader, Nehemiah was not only called to be a man of prayer, but he was also called to bring all the people under his leadership to be men and women of prayer. Can, you, can I remind you something this morning? You are a spiritual leader. You are. Parents, uncle, auntie, bosses, small group leaders, spouse, husbands, 
friend, big brothers, big sisters, neighbors. You are a spiritual leader. You are not a spiritual island. You have a spiritual radiance and a spiritual impact. And here's one thing I discovered about spiritual leadership. Hear me. Here's a principle with spiritual leadership. If you run, they walk. If you walk, they sit. If you sit, they lie down. But if you lie down, they die. Let me repeat that. If you run, they walk. If you walk, they sit. If you sit, they lie down. If you lie down, they die. And I am not here to put pressure on you to shame you or to condemn you. I just want you to realize this. You set the pace. You set the tone. A couple months ago, the Spirit led me to get rid of Netflix completely because it, it had too much space in my life and it was not healthy for me. But let me tell you what happened since then. The moment I did that, the moment I stepped in obedience to God, something happened in my family. I didn't expect it that much, but my 19-year-old, that was a prodigal son, came back to the Lord and we baptized him two weeks ago. Can we celebrate that? That's something. Yeah. His older brother, 21, got baptized with him. They brought another friend that was baptized with them. And now we are doing Bible study in our house four times per week because they are hungry for God's words. We are experiencing revival in our own family. And it started with a simple guy that said, in Jesus' name, I'm going to shut Netflix down. By the way, I'm still alive. <laughs> I will never see Walking Dead season 11. <laughs> but who cares? It's always the same thing. <sighs> Why did I watch 10 seasons of <sighs> this is nonsense, friends? Why I did not do that earlier? I'm okay. I'm let me tell you, when you step in obedience to God, something happened. And it seems like a sacrifice. It looks like a sacrifice. And it is one till the moment you step in. Because the moment you step in, it is not a sacrifice anymore. When you step in, it is just, just pure joy and delight into the presence of the Lord. And you say, why did I do that before? It is time for us to rebuild a wall of prayer around our family. I don't want to lie down spiritually watching Netflix until Jesus comes and gets saved through the fire, but my offspring will die spiritually. Nehemiah said, remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brethren. 
Fight for your son, your daughters, your wife, and your home. It is time for us, church. It is time for us in Montreal and in Birmingham to get serious about rebuilding the wall of prayer in our life and say to the enemy of our soul, you will not have my family. You will not have my spouse. You will not have my kids. You will not have my baby girl. I'm going to rebuild that wall around me if if you want it if you believe it can we clap for Jesus church this morning come on let's do that come on we're wall builders prayer is to our spirit what air is to our bodies Paul said pray without ceasing now what's the thing we do without ceasing without notice breathing right So prayer should be like breathing. Now, I know what you think. You know why I know what you think? Because we got a special AI technology backstage that record all your thoughts right now. <laughs> no, I know what you think because I know what you're thinking because we're the same. And when, when we talk about prayer, here's something comes to my mind so often. I am not good at prayer. Have you said that? Have you thought that? I did. I still do sometimes. But let me tell you, there is no such thing as a Christian who can't pray. No such thing. Are you breathing? Are you thinking? Yes, you are good at prayer. Have you ever seen a fish that is bad at swimming? You say, yes, Nemo. <laughs> Can I suggest to you that Nemo, even with one smaller flipper, is incredibly better at you for swimming. So in the same way that fish are good at swimming, that humans are good at breathing, let me tell you, Christians are good at praying. Stop saying you are not good at prayer. Stop saying you're bad at prayer. Because this is exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. Because the way we're, we're wired humans, we don't like to do the things we're not good at. So you will never see me dancing. Never. Because I'm bad at it. Am I proud of it, yeah? <laughs> so if you make me dance at your Christmas outreach at Shades, I can guarantee you, your unchurched friends that will come will never come back to church anymore. <laughs> because I'm bad at it. So you will never see me dancing. You will never see me acting because I'm bad at acting. But you had seen me preaching because I'm not the worst at preaching. And this is the same with uh, us human beings. We don't like to do the things we are not good at. So listen, if the enemy of our soul can convince us that we are not good at prayer, guess what will happen? You will not pray. And this is a tragedy because everything God does, he, do it, he does it through prayer. If we don't pray, God's will on earth will not happen. We are the channel by which God's will can happen 
through our prayers. So if the enemy can convince you that you are bad at prayer, you will not do it. Stop saying you are not good at prayer. You are good at prayer. If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, say amen. amen. If you believe that he's resurrected from the dead, say amen. amen. If you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, say amen. amen. So if you believe all of that, then you got the Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit is praying 24-7 in you. There is an ongoing prayer meeting in you. And this is good news because I just have to join the prayer meeting. I don't have to lead the prayer meeting. I hate leading prayer meetings. I just hate that. But I don't have to because the Holy Spirit is already leading the prayer meeting. There is right now a prayer meeting, ongoing prayer meeting in you. Will you jump in? Stop saying you're not good at prayer. Stop. Stop saying that, please. A couple of months ago in our church, we, we were in a prayer meeting, and there was a new guy. And he was shy. He didn't know how to pray. But he, he was burning, so he felt that he had to do it. So he, he, he just like said, yeah, Lord, it is me. So when somebody begin his prayer and say, it is me, you know it's a new guy, right? You know. Yeah, Lord, it is me. Rick, I don't know what to say right now, but I just want you to know that I'm there. Amen. And he felt so shy about his prayer, but we were in tears. You know why? Because this is prayer. This is real, authentic prayer. I don't pray like that. I'm a pastor. So when I pray, I need to use like big theological words like sanctification and justification, and I need to quote Bible verses so y'all know that I know my Bible, right? And sometimes I have punchlines in my prayer, and sometimes they rhymes, right? Because it's more powerful with rhymes, right? Let me tell you, this is not prayer. Here's what real prayer is. Lord, it is me, Rick. I don't know what to say, but I want you to know that I am here. This is real prayer. Stop saying you are not good at prayer. Say it with me. I am good at prayer. Repeat that. Again, I am good at prayer. A third time, I am good at prayer. You are good at prayer because you have the Holy Spirit in you. You need to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. You need to stop believe you are not good at prayer. It does not mean you can be better. But if you start with the premise that you're not good at, you will never do it. And this is false. This is a lie from the pit of hell. Closing thought. Zechariah chapter 2. This book is written by a prophet named Zechariah. And this guy was sent to Israel to prophesy and encourage them when they were building, rebuilding the temple and the city. Because at one point they got discouraged and they stopped building. 
So God sent this prophet to say to them, go back to work, go back to work, go back to work. Through the book, he gave them some words to say, go back to work. But sometimes in the book, he's talking about their present, go back to work, but there's some weird windows that are opened sometimes, and he's not talk talking about their present, he's talking about their future. And, and in chapter 2, he says, one day in the future, Jerusalem will have no walls. This is weird, because he was, he was called to encourage them to build the wall now, but he's talking about one day that Jerusalem will have no walls. This is weird. Let's read that together. Verse 4. Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls. You say, why? Here's why. Because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. Zechariah talked about one day as they were rebuilding. He said, one day... There will be no walls in that city because this city will be too full of people. Full of people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, black people, brown people, white people, yellow people, people from every nation of the earth, people from Quebec, Montreal, Quebec, people from Alabama, people from China and Spain, people from everywhere. The city will be filled. The city will be full one day. But the question is, on that day, the city will be in danger. But God has an answer for that. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. As they were building that city, God wanted them to know that their real protection, their real rest, their real abundance, their real wall, it is himself. And we are living in those days, friends, that in Jesus Christ, we know that God is our protection. God is our rest. God is our abundance. God is our walls. Can we pray? Can we praise the Lord this morning, the God who protects us? He's our wall. He is. Now, go back to the question. How's your wall? How's your prayer life? Here's the thing I don't want you to do. Go back home and say, okay, I need to spend more time with the Lord. That's not the first thing I want you to do. You know why? Because many of you had tried that before and didn't work. And it didn't work because we say, I need to spend more time with the Lord, but we got full plates. All of us got full plates. Some of us have full plates of junk, but we got full plates. So the question is not first, how can I have more time with the Lord? The question is first, what do I need to stop? What do I need to remove from the plate so that I can spend more time with the Lord? And for me, it was about getting rid 
of Netflix. But was it worth? Was it worth to see my 19-year-old come back to the Lord? Was it worth to see him baptized and my oldest baptized and their friends baptized and to experience a kind of small revival in our family right now? Was it worth? It is a rhetorical question because you know the answer, right? Of course, it was worth. It was so worth. But we are living in a time. Time has changed, and it will not come back as it was. You set the pace. You set the tone. You can look at your 16-year-old and say, he's losing his life with video games, and, and he turned to you and say, you're losing your life with Netflix. But when we run, They look at us and they say, maybe I should walk. Maybe I should run. I want to be a runner. You're called to be a runner. So what are you going to stop? Let me pray for all of us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this word. I thank you for uh, that you are our wall. And I pray that you will help us to rebuild that wall in our family, in our marriage, uh, in our lives. I pray that you will help us to remove things to put you back at the center. We know we are in a spiritual battle, and we declare this morning we will not let the enemy win this. We are going to win this. We are going to rebuild that wall. And we will experience and we will see that you are our protection, our rest, our abundance. You are our wall. I pray that this message will stick with many people here that will be life-changing and transforming for many brothers and sisters. And I pray that many people will remember that they are good at prayer. In Jesus' holy name we prayed. And everybody said amen, amen. Let's sing together.